Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to this week's uh, podcast from Running Light Ministries. My name's Bo. And I'm Peter. And uh, we're excited to be with you guys today to talk about the Bible and sex and sexuality and issues of pornography and things of that nature. That's what we talk about on this podcast. You can always check us out on iTunes at Running Light Ministries, or you can check us out on SoundCloud at Running Light Ministries, or Google Plus uh, with the same uh, handle. Also at Twitter with uh, the handle Running Light. Um, if you have any questions, you certainly can shoot it our way too. Any questions on the Bible and sexuality, even if it's not on the Bible so much, just uh, maybe cultural things too with sexuality. And we'll give you like a biblical perspective of it anyway. So um, we're going to talk about a cool um, article that was written actually back in 2013. Mm. Um, it was posted um, on Salon. Um, and it was, uh, written by Jessica, uh, I guess you would say, how do you pronounce your last name? Just Enriquez. Enriquez. Yeah, because I think the H is silent, right? I think so too. <laughs> you should know that. <laughs> I know. I should. I'm very Mexican, man. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Okay. So it's by Jessica and it's called My Virginity Mistake. And I would imagine that this is a pretty popular blog over the years since it had 18,000 shares. Wow. Yeah, so that's you know your blog's doing well. <laughs> yeah, eighteen thousand people are sharing it. But um, anyway, I'm gonna have Peter read through it, and what we're gonna do is comment on it. We think this is a great blog. It really brings up a lot of great topics for sure. So yeah, all know, right, let's, let's, let's yeah, let's let's get into it. Let's do it for sure. It's not a very long article, but it's uh, it, it is really good. It's very well written. I thought. Uh, it begins like this. It says, I was 14 years old when I married J- Jesus, not Jesus, the Panamanian who worked at Six Flags. I mean, Jesus Christ, the Lord. <laughs> My parents sent me off to Baptist youth camp in Panama City uh, Beach for the week. And I came home with a tan and a purity ring. Hey, can we stop right there? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And that, that's a great start. Yeah, I know. It's and, a good opening. And I think for people who, who haven't uh, listened to much uh, or haven't been in the church environment much, especially like an evangelical kind of hardcore um, uh, upbringing, then this might be foreign, you know. But uh, there was a documentary that came out called, um, oh, what was it? What was it called? I just spaced it. But it was like, it was about kids at a at a Christian camp, young kids at a Christian camp. It yeah. might have been called Christian Camp or something. Yeah. Uh, the documentary, but it was it's really interesting because uh, if you don't know, there's a lot of different kind of branches of Christianity and how how kind of different things are run, and uh, sometimes how religious ceremony or practices are done. And this happened to be uh, what's called a Pentecostal church, so it's it kind of uh, I would say much more high on emotionalism if I were going to describe it to someone who is not part of the the Christian culture. Yeah. Just kind of has a lot of emotional attachment, and you had these kids that were just bawling, you know. And you gotta you gotta understand. I think for anybody too who's not a Christian, uh, a Christian camp is usually like it can be a week long. It could be a few weeks long, and and usually it, it's. Um, uh, kind of divided by age or, or grade. And um, and then you, you have usually about two to three major or main sessions. And uh, what we mean by that is there's uh, time for Bible study and there's usually like could be hundreds of kids in a room going through a Bible study together and music 
and they can get emotional. It can get where people are singing songs and to God, and there's a lot of emotion there. And, and this, this documentary was like that, dude. You had little kids, like, no joke, like 12 years old, just bawling. <laughs> Just like, I am nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I was like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, man, it was even for a person like me, it was like, wow, dude, that was over the top emotional. Yeah. And um, anybody who's been around um, a lot of emotionalism knows that there can be a lot of manipulation in those environments. And, and, and certainly um, when we're talking about God and the ideas around God, um, you know, I am I am certainly aware, and I think a minister has to be aware that there's um, these are serious topics, and um, and they're already emotional sometimes in and of themselves because you're talking about hardcore issues, life, death, sex. You know, all all these issues that mean something in the world uh, to people. So. And then you have 12 years old, 12 year olds crying in this documentary that are just pouring out their heart like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like you wonder how much of it is really are they getting? Um, you know what I mean? Is this is this good for them? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've I've thought that, too. I've been to a, a couple of youth camps since being a youth pastor myself. And uh-huh. and. I would say that the Calvary camps are, are less emotional than, than some of the other ones I've seen. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'd be lying to say if the, these moments weren't there, you know, that they're not a part of it. <laughs> yeah. And I've been sitting there, you know, as a as an adult, and, and it, those things have kind of crossed my mind where, you know, you got the mood lighting and you got the, the music that's just like it, it's designed to kind of pull on your heart a yeah. little bit. And then, uh, you know, the pastor who's very passionate and I see how it's like impacting the kids. Yeah. And it's very, um, it's so interesting because usually when we go to camp, I'll usually on the last day, I've, I've kind of made it a tradition where I'll, uh, I'll do a little bit of a teaching with the kids called the, the down the mountain little teaching. It'll be like a 20 minute thing. <sighs> and basically what I'll do is I'll try to kind of pull out those emotional moments and just be like, what did you get out of that? You know, like what, yeah. what did you get out of that? And then I'll explain to them how, um, you know, it's not just, if I have an emotional reaction to something, it doesn't mean my life's just going to be different. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that just because I bawled my eyes out one Tuesday night at a youth camp, that all of a sudden I'm going to come down the mountain and everything's going to be peachy and perfect and stuff. It's kind of a downer teaching, but I think it's it's really necessary in a lot of ways. <laughs> man, dude, yeah. <laughs> quenching the Holy Spirit, quenching the Spirit, man. Yeah. But, that's what that's what people yeah. would say. Yeah, a lot of people probably would say that. <laughs> and uh, firstly, the the reason why I do that is because I've gone down the mountain, and and what happens is I would say within like the first, it's almost like a New Year's resolution. Within the first maybe week or two, those moments are just forgotten. Mm-hmm. And um, all that's really left, and I think that she really does a good way of illustrating this, all that's really left is kind of like an emotional baggage mm. where all the content is gone. Mm-hmm. All the content that made that moment special is completely eradicated, and all that's remembered is an emotional experience, and that's what kind of is holding you. Right. And, and what's interesting, I think, about what she says, um, and hopefully we've done a good job of explaining kind of camps, <laughs> uh, but uh, is that she says, uh, when I was 14 years old, I married Jesus. Mm. And what an interesting concept, right, Yeah, is marrying Jesus. 
and and uh, she has. And she her, does make a joke about that later. <laughs> yeah, she has her ring and and yeah. everything like this. Like you know, um, you know, I, I see already kind of her getting set up for a bail. Yeah. You know what I mean with this idea. I know it's a popular idea, the one of marrying Jesus. Yeah. You know that hey, I'm gonna stay single, I'm gonna stay pure, and I'm gonna marry the Lord, and that's what's gonna you know my life's gonna be like. Me and the Lord, marry Him. Um, but it almost like, uh, it almost brings someone to this interesting place of, um, I think it's unrealistic, you know, um, cause marriage is with a physical person in front of you. Yeah. Um, it has all kinds of connotations. (laughs) Um, it has a functionality, Yeah. you know, that's just not there when you say I'm married to Jesus, like, um, you know, so it's, it, I don't know, I, th- I think maybe saying you're married to Jesus, I understand what people mean by that, you know, but it probably wasn't the best. Why don't you go on? Yeah. And, and, and yes, let's keep going. Uh, she, she says after that, she says, I sat with my <laughs> legs crossed, cramped in a theater with 200 sweaty, sobbing teens as our pastor described the unwavering bonds of sex and why it should only be experienced within the confines of marriage. Um, I, I kind of want to stop there yeah. uh, for a second because I, I do know what she's talking about um, where it, it is interesting. Like there's, there's a good and a bad to it, the way it's described within the confines of the church where uh, she says that there's an unwavering bond of sex. And I've heard language like that utilized within the church of how, you know, like you're giving a piece of yourself to someone else and, um, you know, you're becoming one with them and it's like binding and it's traumatic and these things are true, but they are true when you take them with a grain of salt. And, and what I mean by that is like, I, you know, spending a lot of times with my buddies who are very promiscuous with the way that they uh, treat their bodies. They have sex with many, many different people. They, they certainly wouldn't look at me after they had a one night stand and be like, dude, I feel like a piece of my soul is with that girl you know, yeah. um, they, they wouldn't put it that way. They wouldn't think that way where it is true. Um, you know, anyone who has had a, a long lasting relationship with someone uh, with a, a, a long time sexual partner, you know, that there is something to sex. There is something that is very binding. There is something very moving about it and that can't be denied. But the, the fallacy that would be within there would be to say that if I have sex with somebody, I'm kind of ruined. You know, I'm kind of like damaged goods if I give up my virginity uh, to the wrong person. And um, I, I think that th- that line has caused far more scarring within our young Christian public than anything else. Because, I mean, as a young kid, uh, you know, I'm not naive as a youth pastor. I know that a lot of the, the, the kids that I, I'm with are not going to be virgins when they get married. I understand that that is going to happen. And if I lay a trip on them that, like, if you have sex with someone who you're not going to end up marrying, that that's somehow going to scar you for life. And there's going to be, like, these ma- major baggage that's going to drag on your marriage. It's just, it's it's a little bit untrue. Um, it, I mean, first of all, it's completely neglecting the, the power of Christ and, and all that. But uh, secondly, it's kind of, uh, it, it's more preventative than actually accurate. You know, it's it, it meaning that line is given to try to just prevent people from ever experimenting with their sexuality, but it's not actually it doesn't hold enough water to actually be realistic. Yeah. So it means that when your young teenage 
brother, sister, child, whatever, hears something like that and then they go to school and they see the reality of what their friends are doing with their sexuality, this myth is not going to hold them in the way that you think. Yeah. And she actually, again, she explains this later on. Yeah, and I think I think it's so true, you know, because, you know, she, she describes it well that, you know, as a kid, you know, you get this, you get this like... Um, if you will, it's kind of like a sneak preview of sex through your pastor's lens, you know, of him saying what he's saying about, hey, it should only be experienced in marriage. And it's not that that's not the Christian, a Christian idea. Mm. It's not that we're not saying uh, that the Christian idea is we do believe that the, the greatest joy that we can experience in sex is through a monogamous marriage and a marital committed relationship. But I think the danger that we've 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 kind of developed in the Christian life with this issue of sex in kids and camps and and, th- and that she does a good job of just describing is that you can't talk you can't sex is a hu- huge topic it's a big topic even biblically um, so when you when you make a talk about hey. You know, we should have, you know, God created sex, God created marriage. We should have sex in marriage. That's the only place. Stay pure, stay pure, stay. You know, if you do not, if you do not paint the, if you're not well-rounded and talk about all the other subjects regarding it. Um, for instance, why in people in the Bible abuse sex so much? Um, what about them? Does God still love them? Mm. Um, you know, um um, what is marriage even a, a picture of? What? Why is it to be such a special thing? Um, why? Uh, what happens if you do have sex outside of marriage? Um, you know, is is like a lightning bolt going to come and get me, or what's going to happen? You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and and hearing from people that are from that side who have experienced sex outside of marriage, and and that they live to tell about it. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just in that moment of the sermon with it being so emotional, they're only getting this really narrow perspective. Hmm. Um, and and with along with the emotion and the fear of not doing something right with God um, and that we're accountable to God and all these huge emotional topics, you know, that um, if it's not taught well-roundedly at all, if, if, if the subject matter is not given the proper time, then man, dude, I mean, it falls way short. It's like, it's like teaching a math problem, and you you know teaching algebra, and you know, and you haven't really taught them how to do addition yet. Mm. You know, it's like they might know subtraction, but they don't know how to add or something. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they're missing components. Um, it's too simplistic. It's too simplistic, and anything, you know, of any anything that matters in life is going to be much more. Uh, um, intellectual and and have to think through yeah um and um relationships and sex certainly needs to be so you know sometimes i think these kind of topics need to be it's not that they can't be talked about but they certainly need to be tempered in a way that um that people get uh, a more well-rounded idea of things Hmm. you know it's tough yeah you know but i think it we need to try to do better job yeah yeah i think so too because i mean it it makes me rejoice when I, you know, read uh, different secular uh, psychologists and sociologists talk about the benefits of monogamy 
you know, that's awesome because it does reveal, you know, like Romans 2 said, when a Gentile does the law, it reveals that there is a law, you know. So yeah. when I hear someone who's a non-believer talking about how it is beneficial for us to have monogamous sex, it just reveals that that's how God created us. Mm -hmm. However, I would be lying to say that that's the only perspective out there. Yeah. And I would be also lying to say that people can't function um, in, in any other worldview because they do. Oh, there are right. whole societies and cultures that are built on uh, what we as Christians would look at as inappropriate usage of sex. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, they've flourished and they've done great and they're still out there. They're all over the world. Yeah. So obviously I can't be as narrow-minded and say like you can only have good sex or you can only have correct sex within the biblical mind frame. Um, now I would make that claim, but there's a reason why I would make that claim. And it has nothing to do with whether or not someone can function sexually. It has everything to do with if there is a God and he did create you, then your greatest pleasure would be to glorify him. But that takes you out of the context of sexuality and it puts you in the context of everything, your life, yeah. Yeah. whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Whereas if I was just talking to someone who's a secular person, this kind of a, a talk would be, in a way, it would be kind of laughed at, you know, where it's just, it just, it just can't hold water. It, it doesn't cover the the spectrum of other facts and human experience and and so because of that it's uh like i said i i do believe it's more damaging than helpful mm. you know for every uh for every one or two kids it helps i feel it scars far more of them yeah you know? i just wish we had more time at those camps to try to talk through those issues yeah. you know um, much more in greater detail because that's what it needs you know, for sure, uh, topics like this. Anyway, go on with the, with the, with the blog. Yeah. The next sentence kind of just reiterates a lot of the stuff we were just saying. Okay. It says the lyrics echoed in the background as he shouted about STDs and unplanned pregnancy from the pulpit. So you see, once again, <laughs> the pastor's kind of just hitting that same point of just no sex before marriage. Cause it's going to ruin you. It's going to destroy you. And he's using STDs and unplanned pregnancy as a as a reasoning for that. Kind of that fear, kind of scared. That's right. Scaring people straight, I guess you'd call it. <laughs> right. um, and that really that doesn't work too well. Now the next line kind of made me giggle a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you could definitely see like, this was like the, the culmination of the, of, of the, of the sermon. And I bet there was some mood music going on when he said this, but he, he says this, cause I'm waiting for you, praying for you, darling, wait for me to wait for me as I have waited for you. And, and that's, um, obviously their future quote unquote spouse speaking to them of just like, man, you know, I'm waiting for, I'm out there, you know, just wait for me. And, uh, again, it's very emotional, but there's just not much substance to it. Uh, next sentence, he says, one by one, we each placed a ring on our fourth finger and made vows to an apparently by curious Jesus who took teenage husbands and wives by the dozen that night. Uh, <laughs> like I said, it's a very well written article. Um, but what it, what it again, shows what it reveals is that this is a this is a person who clearly was coming from a secular background who didn't understand God and didn't understand what these crazy Christians were saying and it wasn't explained to her. And so she's just looking at this whole situation like this is this is weird, you know, like this is yeah. this is odd. Like I never thought that Jesus was like you know, I like how she put it, by curious, like that he's like uh, apparently a marrying everybody and uh what <laughs> What she fails to understand, which, what was never explained to her, I should say, was when we as Christians say that Jesus is our husband, much like when we say God is our father, I'm certainly not saying that God the Father had sex with somebody and I was a result of that. 
Uh, and when I say that Jesus is my husband, I'm certainly not saying that I'm married to him in the way that I'm married to my wife and we have physical intimacy or something like right. that. Um, what we're saying as Christians is that God relates to us in, in ways that are that are beyond our understanding. So he's created for his, for his people. He's created pictures within our relationships on this earth to help us understand what kind of love does God have for me. You know, he says he loves me. Well, how does God love me? You know, does he love me like someone loves their country? You know, does he love me like some like like someone loves their dog? You know, like yeah. what what kind of love does God have for me? And so these these relational terms help me understand that. But once again, she's uh, clearly not seeing that. <laughs> she's yeah, not and, but it is. But I wonder how many kids in in today's world look at it like that, where they go, "Yeah, man, I'm uh, I mean, uh, I'm married to Jesus, and I'm a girl, and I'm married to Jesus. He's a guy." and but that guy's going to be married to Jesus too. So I guess Jesus <laughs> is into him too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Again, That's if it. there's not an explanation of, of what we mean, then yeah. it, it becomes very confusing. Yeah, very confusing. You know, and uh, which is unfortunate. And I would say that Christianity has made this blunder before. Um, this is not anything new. Mm. If you go back in Christian history, I mean, in fact, you don't have to go too far because they mm -hmm. still exist. Uh, the the priests and the nuns used to say this. They would mm -hmm. say, I'm celibate because I am married to Christ. Right. And so you already see that that blending of terminology is happening and that kind of idea is kind of forming of like, I'm not married to another human because I'm already married to Jesus. Yeah. So it's almost like a, a physical marriage with God which is obviously not what Jesus intended when he said that to us, yeah. right? He's trying to illustrate the kind of love that he has for us, that Jesus is very passionate about his people, that he loves us, that we're special to him. Um, you know, that's why he's trying and there's to other, And there's other, um, you know, analogies, not just that. Jesus talks about being like a mom gathering her children, mm -hmm. you know? So there's other, there's other ideas there, relational concepts of, yeah. of God and his people. Um, you know, um, so it's, it, it's certainly, you can't, you know, we can't put, you know, you can't, just can't think so strictly that, yeah. you know, in those terms of marriage with, yeah. with Jesus. Yeah. You know. And, and once again, as a, as a youth pastor, I've heard this before and it, it kind of, you know, when I hear the kids talking about it, it's like, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, you know, <laughs> like, cause they'll, they'll say something like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, usually the girls, I, I don't really think I've ever heard it from a guy before but usually from the girls I'll say something like I'm married to Jesus and this is great and yeah you know and and it's like that's that's true yes you are married to Jesus in that sense but it would be kind of like this when Jesus says that he is the fount of living water come unto me all you who are thirsty and drink that doesn't mean as a Christian I I stop drinking water you know as a Christian being married to Jesus does not mean my sex drive goes away yeah. Uh, it certainly doesn't mean that I'm in my yeah. marriage. Like again, that yeah. was the that was the connotation that priests and nuns thought was like, oh, I'm married to Jesus, so my sex drive is gone, and I'm just you know celibate, and that's cool. Right. Even if I am married, we're not going to have sex, and that's that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's just once again, it's, it's not true. It's it's just it's definitely not true. <laughs> it's yeah. not what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and it almost I think sometimes too, it like. Um, it can kind of suppress the normal um, desire for sex in someone. And so what it creates is, you know, a, a, a teenager has a normal desire for sex. They, they develop a, 
uh, a natural um, um, thought of it. Um, they go through puberty. They experience things in their body. Um, and, and then they're trying to suppress it. Yeah. You know, instead of talking about it, instead of bringing it up, they think, man, if I bring up this issue of sex, man, you know, they're going to be like, dude, but just be married to Jesus. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, ah, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, no, 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 no. Or, yeah. or like, you know, God, what if I accidentally masturbate? You yeah. know, what if I do that? Like, that's totally horrible. And I should be married to Jesus. And yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, you know, it can just be really weird, yeah. you know, and kind of suppress them from just opening up and saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about girls and I'm really, you know, those type of normal questions that just seem like it should flow normal in life, like yeah. to talk to someone about those things as you grow older yeah. instead of being so secretive about it, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that idea of, man, if I do talk to someone, maybe I'm breaking God's heart because God is married to me. I mean, you could see how yeah. gnarly that would be on a young person. Yeah, what a burden. It yeah. Would be, yeah. It, it, it's, almost, it's almost like you're teaching them that every sin they commit with God is an adultery. Yeah. Is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's heavy. That's a heavy, I mean, that's a heavy thing to bear. Mm. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you're committing adultery on God when you want to, when you think about other girls mm. are you thinking about sexual things yeah you know that are you want to date or you have a desire to be with someone or mm. things like that um you know how how can you 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 know you're being a whore yeah you know you're not staying with jesus yeah you know and you could see how that would just be overwhelming of a burden yeah <laughs> Yeah, it would. And uh, I do like, we'll get to it in a second, but when she describes her conversations with her parents, I and when she's actually married, it's actually really, uh, again, it's kind of, it, it would be really amusing if it wasn't a true story. Yeah, you know, like yeah, the way yeah, that it I know. Is. Well, keep it's, going with the, with the blog. But yeah, she keeps going. She says, I didn't buy a word of it. Jesus is my husband. Were you kidding? <laughs> but that ring, silver and engraved <laughs> and entwined with hearts, everyone I knew was wearing one and I'd finally been given the opportunity to get my hands on it. And it wasn't just the ring. This was a movement with T-shirts and hats and the added bonus of superiority over kids in school who couldn't keep their clothes on, those sinners. After an intense and very detailed sex talk with my mother, where she stuttered and blushed and we both used the word flower. Flower. Yeah. We'll let you guys figure out what that stands for. But anyway, she goes on and says, I was terrified of sex. That and the slideshow in sex ed didn't help one bit. So I scribbled Jesus plus Jess on my Bible cover, and I casually mentioned my virginity in daily conversations. I committed to the idea, hoping it would ensure a successful marriage. Instead, it led to my divorce. <laughs> yeah. So a couple things to get from that. Um, first of all, she describes this movement, but I like how she describes the movement from the perspective of the kids. And I remember when I was in high school, uh, those of you who are around my age will remember this, there was a straight edge movement when I was in high school. And you probably remember that. Yeah. Book. And uh, I think it's died out by now. But, yeah, punk um, me. Punk. Yeah punk scene that was like against yeah. drinking or drugging that's right that's right and it actually became like a gang which yeah. was kind of weird i think they kind of went against their purpose but they <laughs> right. became a gang. maybe they could be violent yeah they became violent and they went to the metalcore scene and they <laughs> it was weird it was this weird thing i didn't really understand but anyway uh she explains the motivation 
the motivation is twofold. First of all, to be accepted by a community that she appreciated. So she saw that all of her friends and all the people she were familiar with were doing it. And so her need to be validated and accepted drove her to do this. And then the second reason why she did it was because it gave us gave her a false sense of superiority over people who didn't do it. Yeah. Um, and so right away, once again, y- you see these things and, and you see, I love how she spells it out. I love how she describes it, like the negativity that's settling into her life. Because first of all, you have this pride, this arrogance where she feels better than other people. And uh, she's doing this because she, she has this idea of like, if I do this, my marriage is going to be flowers and roses. Nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you see this dark side kind of forming where she has this incredibly negative view of sex, like really starting to culminate in her heart where, you know, she, and I like how she explains the the conversation with her mom where her mom's not even willing to use the words with her. I know, which and, is sad. Uh, it's very sad. And, and she's like shy about it. She doesn't want to talk about it. And, and so you kind of see that this whole thing is kind of, it's kind of making her in a way like regret talking to her mom about sex, you know? Yeah. And then she goes to school. What does she see? She sees STDs and, and pictures of genitalia covered in herpes and stuff like that. And now she's like, wow, sex is really bad. It's really bad. You know, sex is really terrible. Um, and, and so you have like this, this person who's entering into marriage and she's just doomed to fail. Yeah. And, and to me, what I see is like, uh, uh, I think those are all great points. I th- I think you see a, uh, a belief in a philosophy and not really a belief in a person, mm. you know, and that's where I think a lot of people get wrong growing up um, in the church. They're, they're believing a movement. They're believing a philosophy of a movement, mm. you know, and movements come and go. And, and that's not what Christianity is based off of. Mm. Christianity is based off of the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. If mm. he, did resurrect or not if he didn't then let's go eat drink and be merry and just live a different way um so but when belief when christian belief is on a philosophy a movement a youth ministry a a a movement within that youth ministry or that adult ministry and it's on these philosophies um of being good and doing right things and um, all those type of things, um, you know, God, God will certainly allow you to go that route, but he will allow you to face the consequences of really trusting in philosophies and movements mm. rather than trusting in him. He will strip you of that, mm. you know, because that becomes the idol, the Christian yeah. philosophy. Yeah. Um, so you're really not putting your faith in a person, mm. you know, your joy is not in a person. Yeah. You know, it's just in the movement. Yeah. And it, and you're right. It produced in her a self-righteousness. Mm. And that's how you can see the error. Yeah. You know, it produced someone who draws close to Jesus. Really, if they're drawing close to Jesus, it's going to make them quite, quite humble. Mm. You know, because they're going to realize the more they're hanging out with Jesus that, wow, I, I fall way, way <laughs> short of that. Yeah. And that's why I admire him. That's why I admire Jesus is because I think it's I think it's beautiful how he treated people. Mm. I think it's amazing how he stood up to principles that meant everything to him in the face of incredible adversity of his culture. Um, and um, I think we I think a lot of people when they read about Jesus in the gospel accounts they they grow an appreciation to that. Mm. 
you know, um, for certain, you know, sure. I mean, that's why so many books are written on him. Yeah. Um, very impactful person. Yeah. You know, but to be self-righteous, to hang out with Jesus and then walk away going, oh, I'm great and I'm way better than them, them sinners. Wow. That is not how people reacted mm. when when they drew close to Christ. Mm. Yeah. Because you know? like you said, it's impossible. You know, how how could I feel superior in the in the face of someone who's perfect? You know, if anything, when you see the gospel writers writing, I mean, like, let's take someone like the Apostle Paul, who before he knew Christ, he was very self-righteous, mm-hmm. very self-righteous, thought he was better than other people. Then after spending 20 years plus getting to know Jesus and drawing closer to him, what does he say to his most trusted friend? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came for sinners of whom I am chief, present tense. So here we have the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest, most influential Christian leaders that has ever lived. And towards the end of his life, he describes himself as the worst sinner on the planet. Um, that's, that's pretty hardcore. But that's what genuinely happens to someone who is in the face of perfection. Yeah. You know, if, if I'm just comparing myself to other people, of course I'm going to feel superior. Mm. But if I'm comparing myself to Christ, I'm always going to understand the inferiority of who I am before God and yet the glory of what God did for me. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's, that's the something that, that's something that's definitely missing from her, her experience. That's right. And, and, and it does fall into kind of, and I think that this movement is, is kind of rampant in the Christian community right now where it's almost like we're trying to, we're, we're releasing books and seminars and conferences of follow these seven steps, do it this way. And your marriage is going to be perfect. Your kids are going to grow up. They're going to be awesome Christians. Yeah. And, and it's just not reality. That's just not what life looks like. And uh, Jesus put it this way. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. But in this life, you will have many trials. But praise God, I have overcome the world. So what is Jesus' point? Yes, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's the motivation for why we obey. Mm-hmm. I obey what Jesus said about my sexuality, not because it's going to give me a better life necessarily, mm-hmm. but because Jesus is the better life. Mm-hmm. He is the greatest good. Um, but n- no matter what I do as a Christian, I will endure suffering. Mm-hmm. I will endure suffering. It's, yeah. it's not an if. It, 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 it's something that will happen in my life. And if Jesus is in the treasure, then, and if it is, like you put it, just a philosophy, then what's the point? You know. That's right. It's just one of many. Yeah, there's tons out there. <laughs> yeah, and then you throw it off if it don't work, mm-hmm. you know. And certainly, um, I don't know if we have time to go into the whole blog today or not, yeah. but um, uh, maybe we can finish it up next week. Yeah, you want to do that? That would be good because the next part is great. <laughs> you know, so, this she, is, so we'll do a part do two. Yeah, we'll do a part two. And this is the blog by Jessica yeah. and um, from 2013. And uh, again, that's what we're going over this week on the podcast. And we'll, we'll pick it up next week. And it's a wonderful blog. It's cool. Gives us a lot of things to think about. And hopefully, uh, we'll, we'll help you guys kind of pick through this too. And we can all grow through it. So we'll talk to you guys next week. Check us out on our website, runninglight.org. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.